Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Chris Larson. Hi, Chris. Mike, good to see you. Thank you very much for coming on the on the, on the podcast. Uh, Chris is a founder and principal of the Next Level Income, uh, and he has he, he has been in real estate uh, investing for over uh, twenty years. He's been syndicating multifamily deals since 2016. It's got uh, over a billion dollars of real estate acquisitions. And uh, he's got some unique uh, investment specialties like car washes. So um, but before we do that, would you be so kind as to tell us a little bit about Chris? Where do you live? Your family, kids, cats, cats, wives, dogs, whatever works for you. <laughs> I love the I love the plural of everything, including the wives, Mike. That's uh that's that's terrific. But um well past wife, wife, current wife, right. I don't know. Sometimes people are married <laughs> Well, I'm I'm fortunate that that's a fairly boring area of my life. I only have one wife, but we live in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, my wife and I. We have two two young boys, eleven and soon to be thirteen, um, here. We've been here for wow, it'll be fifteen years, Mike. So yeah, this is this is definitely home to us and our family. Um, very fortunate to live in a beautiful area of the country. Love to mountain bike in the area, and um, yeah, we run Next Level Income here, where we, you know, get to focus on um, commercial real estate acquisitions here in the southeast. That's awesome. You, you're blessed, yeah. and uh, indeed, uh, it, it, it's yeah, it's a great area. I live in a big city. It's a very different experience, which is also awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, different flavors, different different uh, joys and pleasures. I'm sure Indeed. you have uh, quite a bit of less traffic than we have here in uh, in New York City. That's for sure. Yeah, I lived in D.C. for five years, and I will tell you what: when you when it takes you three hours to get home in traffic, um, when it should take thirty minutes, you, you definitely you you appreciate what traffic really is for sure. That's right. All right. So, without further ado, let's jump yeah. into uh, real estate. Yeah. So we are recording this in early 2023. Um, lots of concerns, lots of fears, lots of uncertainty. Uh, what's going to happen? We're going into an economic recession. Um, how do you think it's going to impact uh, your investments, uh, what you've done in the multifamily space, car washes? And uh, please volunteer any additional information. What else you'd like to invest into? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. What else has worked for you and how do you think it's going to be impacted by the, this cycle? Yeah. So, Mike, our investment thesis revolves around value-add real estate. So, you know, we're our number one goal is to preserve capital. Number two is to create uh, income for our investors. Number three is to create growth, and that's all wrapped in a uh, tax efficiency. Um, hopefully, with with respect to all that. So, I mean, I'm not really telling anybody anything they don't know at this point. Obviously, rising rates um, are impacting short term cash flows with respect to real estate. It's certainly made it much more challenging for us in terms of acquisition, specifically on. The multifamily side, the self-storage side, um, which is our, our two primary asset classes, because uh, one, um, sellers don't want to um, come to grips kind of with the fact that they're going to have to accept uh, less money if, the, if they want to make the deals work for a purchaser. Um, on the purchasing side, the acquisition side, if we're looking at a deal, 
uh, we're probably going to get a higher interest rate than we were a year or two ago. And it's probably going to be a lower LTV. So that means that more equity is going to be brought to the deal. So higher interest, more equity, less cash to go around for more investors. So that's going to that's going to change the profile of some of these deals, certainly. Um, so we looked at all, probably 50% more deals last year than the year before, and we made less acquisitions. So that kind of gives you, you know, it's a real simple um, you know, way to look at things right now. So you got to kiss a lot more frogs to find to find a good deal. Um, we are looking at other asset classes, Mike. We have been looking at other asset classes. So multifamily is what I wrote my book about, which I'm happy to share with how people can get a copy with that a little bit later. Um, self-storage, you know, two, you know, nice stalwart, um, stable asset classes. But what do you do when returns, you know, are, are a little bit lower? So I think one of the things you can do is you can look at other assets, other investments that may provide opportunities for higher cash flow and higher potential returns. Um, car washes is one of those businesses. And I will say business because there is a real estate component for sure, but you can you can weave in some car wash um, investments into say a portfolio of multifamily and self-storage. You can boost your overall returns and you know you can kind of help to um, increase you know the returns that may be going down. Um, or maybe just diversify a little bit out of some of the stuff that you have. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, so I appreciate all that explanation. Everything you said makes total sense. Transaction volume has dropped substantially in commercial and residential real estate. 30 Absolutely. to 40% good portion of last year and things are even yeah. projected to be worse at the start of this year. Yeah, Simply because the bid and the ask has widened and like you said, sellers don't want to capitulate and the buyers don't want to pay the price that Sellers yeah. want simply because cash and cash has got a lot of worse. So yeah. it becomes a, a game of waiting, a, a, yeah. a game of who is going to capitulate first. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the car wash, um, sure. It is, uh, especially if you buy a car wash with real estate. Uh, and there are other real estate businesses that are part operating part uh, real estate. And, and this is a great point uh, that you that you brought. So examples would be, for example, uh, some senior living facilities are part operating businesses. Absolutely, you could you could have some mobile home parks also uh, part operating businesses. And the operating component, in many ways, is even more important than real estate. So folks need to understand that they are investing Same. in the strength of the operators a lot more than they're investing in in the location of the real estate. Great point. And actually, that's exactly what I call it. I call it operating real estate, Mike. And I would also include short term rentals in that as right. well. And I think these are these are all areas that are also good opportunities if you're if you're on the um, you maybe the less tenured side if you have some time and expertise in one of these areas short term rentals senior housing um, operating experience on you know a car wash or um, you know any of these other uh, real businesses right that have have a real estate component you can earn higher returns because there's more opportunities there's more levers that you can pull but you made a really really good point mike which is the operating team is of utmost important importance in those and one of the things that is very challenging in all of those asset classes is that unlike a multifamily property which it's pretty easy to go and find a property manager usually in a bigger city you know, bigger MSA, there's multiple options for a good property manager. Maybe not a great one, but there's good ones out there and you have to kind of sort through those to find the great ones. But sometimes it's hard to find any operators for these assets when it comes to car washes, when it comes to, um, you know, assisted living or senior housing. So in our case, we had to build an operating team 
for their car washes. And so it's not, it's not as simple as just, you know, buying something and plugging in a property manager. Sometimes you have to come with everything to the table. Yeah, that's a great point. Phenomenal point. I've heard the story before, even with senior living facilities. Yeah. They try to outsource it and then the operator runs into the ground and then the owners have to get get their act together yeah. and start operating themselves. Yeah. But the car yeah, wash, yeah, so how are you investing? Do you have a fund that invests in the car wash? Or uh, I'm just curious, um, how yeah. have you structured that whole business? Because you, you have to come in and you have to come in with the management. So you have to have vertical uh, integration and expertise in that field. And then you're buying, I assume, these right. locations in a given city or cities because you need to have some economy of scale. That's right. Yeah. So let's let's kind of let's take a quick step back and like ask the question, like why car washes and what types of car washes and why now? So first off, we focus on express tunnel car washes. So you have in bay, which is the kind you park your car. And the machine goes around. I actually own one myself here in town. So it's basically a big robot. You park and it just, it just cleans your car, goes around. A lot of these are touchless. Um, ours is touchless, at least. Some, some have kind of like soft touch type thing. You have full service. So you might pull up to a car wash and a team comes out and washes your car. You know, A version of this is somebody that comes and washes your car at your house, right? Then there's the express tunnel, which is kind of a hybrid. You have some employees there, but... You also have a lot of machines that help wash your car. And these are quick. You can go through it in three, two, three, four, five minutes. They're, um, they're also adjustable. So you can adjust the chemicals, the spray angles, the speed of the conveyor belt. These things take inputs. So you need a team that actually understands what's going on, at least at a high level, because then you can direct your employees to do that. One of the other nice things is a lot of these express tunnel car washes have monthly memberships and what, what we like is Visual monthly revenue. recurring revenue. Exactly. So when you have something, a business with monthly recurring revenue, then you have a cash flow or an income stream that you can sell at a specific rate, a cap rate, or a multiple of EBITDA in this case. So um, right now we're looking at about 15 years before we're kind of fully built out in terms of the express tunnel car washes around the country. And one of the groups that really likes these right now are private equity groups. So if you can buy from a myriad of smaller operators and 85% of these are owned by smaller operators, you're typically paying around an 8X multiple of EBITDA. So an 8X multiple of that income stream that you're getting. A private equity group for a well-run portfolio of car washes, large portfolio, 50, 100 plus car washes may pay 50 to 100% higher than that multiple. So there's there's a ready set of buyers here. So I think there's a, a window here over the next five years. Um, the challenge is who's going to buy them, right? So we talked about private equity. You might have a bigger operator. Well, if you want to sell a portfolio of car washes, you want to have the opportunity to sell without an operating team or with an operating team. So that's what's nice about having uh, basically a modular operating team like we do. We can take a team that's already in place and a wash that we acquire. We can see if they're a good fit for our team. And we typically keep about 50% of the employees that are there on site and incorporating and incorporate them into our team. Um, one of the nice things is, as you as you fold these into a larger portfolio, there's, as you mentioned, Mike, economies of scale, both at a local level, which means we can do advertising, we can cross market. Um, people really, they like to go to a car wash that's near their house, but it's nice if you have a couple different washes um, that you can go to. And then also we can leverage regional or national contracts as well. So really the car wash business, aside from people, which we were talking about a little bit earlier with uh, the employees and being able to sell and get people to buy these monthly memberships. The other pieces are chemicals that wash the car. 
And by the way, these are very environmentally friendly. We recapture um, almost all of, of what comes out of the wash before it goes back into um, the water water uh, system um, and machines. So we actually have an engineer who has both a mechanical and a chemical background that helps run our team. He's our director of operations. So it's, you know, if you can, if you can manage those two pieces of the business, you can hire the right people and you can give a good experience to customers, then they're going to be coming back. Cause people that wash their car through an express tunnel car wash, and some of you may be shaking your heads up and down. You don't go cause it's the best wash in the world. You go because it's consistent. It's a good value. You know what you're getting. It's kind of like Chick-fil-A, right? I can buy, I can get a better chicken sandwich somewhere, but I know I'm getting a Chick-fil-A. It's really good. My kids love it. It's predictable. It's quick. I can get in and out. It's a good value. And that's why we go there once a week. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And very quickly, like how big is your operation at this point? Just curious because I, I yeah. also run the car um, wash yeah. industry. How many locations do you have? Just just give us some economy. Yeah, we have about, and we have several under contract right now. So we have about two dozen that are either currently being operated or in acquisition or construction right now. Gotcha. So it, it's, it, it, you're basically scaling up. So you're scaling up over the next five Absolutely. years. Absolutely. You, you have two dozen and you're trying to get to what? That's right. A couple hundred probably to, to sell it to. Uh, yeah, between 100 and 200 locations is a nice, is a nice portfolio size. It's going to give a, a nice multiple. Yeah, the same is true. Uh, I know a number of folks who do this with the uh, dental practices and veterinary practices. If you get big enough Absolutely. economy of scale, Absolutely. you can get a much bigger multiple versus Absolutely. Uh, like a, a single single location trades at a much higher yeah. price. And you have a small group, you're paying uh, more per, I guess, per location. And then if you get a whole bunch of them, that's exactly right. Like Aspen Dental and my friend works actually for one of the large uh, veterinary um, advisories. He's a he was one of my roommates in college, and he was he's an actual vet veterinarian, but he works with one of these groups. So yeah, it's the exact same thing. If you can build it, run it, and sell it, you know, private equity likes these nice predictable income streams. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, high interest rates have uh, have put a uh, uh, kind of you know thrown a wrench in in the wheel. Uh, for the valuation, because ultimately, uh, it, it's the you know, the value of the discounted cash flow. So he, in this Agreed. environment, and then they bought them with leverage. It's one of the biggest problems. The leverage has gotten a lot more difficult, a lot more expensive. Yeah. Absolutely, always always going to be cognizant of all those things. Absolutely. So besides um, challenges acquiring, we'll go back to the multifamily real estate. Uh, so yeah. besides challenges acquiring, which is going to be the case for the next, I don't know how long, at least a couple of quarters until, yeah. I, I think the story is going to be this, until sellers start capitulating more, until you, better deals start surfacing. Or, or rates come down, right? Or both. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. For the record, it's going to be very hard to see rates drop this year. In fact, uh, Fed is still increasing rates. They're probably not done for another, I don't know, probably... They'll be down by the end of this quarter, most likely end of Q1. Yeah. Uh, and whether with the terminal velocity being between five to five and a half Fed, Fed funds rate, that's, that's kind of the consensus on the street. Yep. Uh, but they've done most of the damage already. I mean, there's a little bit more damage left. Um, yeah. So the, the speculation is how long they're going to keep the rates there. And the general theory is probably until the end of the year, unless problems start occurring, like big problems. So if there are no big problems, uh, because they operate in arrears, they're going to have to see enough data, inflationary data, to come down to the point where they could say, we're done, we can, 
In fact, they're going to start easing when there are problems. And they, they won't start easing until they start seeing substantial unemployment and substantial yeah. economic challenges. So in this environment, uh, my first question is, any of your existing investments, uh, one of the big problems that I see coming up, all the folks that bought value at projects, yep. and they bought them with bridge loans, which was mm-hmm. the norm, they have maturing paper or uh, yep. rate cap maturity, uh, rate cap expiration, and these loans will renew <laughs> at a substantially higher rate, like yeah. a lot higher rate than, than the original uh, amount. Are, are you doing anything about that? Do you have any, any assets in the portfolio that have this type of a problem? And uh, what can you do? Yeah, it's a good question. So first off, I think first what you can do in the front end is you can align your debt with the whole period of your property, right? And I think a lot of people said, "Hey, let's let's get a bridge loan, and, and we're going to be we'll be okay." Because look, look what, um, look where we are with rental rates increasing going through this. We essentially we either have fixed rate debt or we have debt with rate caps on all of our properties, Mike. So we don't have any of those here maturing in the in the near future, fortunately. Um, we also have kept our our loan to value and our cash on hand at substantial levels. So a loan to value on our portfolio is typically below 70%. Um, we have cash flow in the bank for these properties to give us typically um, on average about 18 to 24 months of runway uh, at very at very low or, or no occupancy in these properties. So we got, we got lots of time. If you didn't do that, that's when people are getting into trouble. So what can you do if you're kind of behind the eight ball at that point? Um, we've gotten calls from a lot of groups that are looking to recapitalize and looking to us for help and saying, hey, can you come in and do this? And I think when you mentioned capitulation, I think that's where a lot of this is going to come from are these groups that you know don't have fixed rate debt. They don't have rate caps in place. They're upside down on their cash flows. They're burning through any cash on hand that they have. Um or they have to, or they're going to be forced to refinance. So, you know, for us, we have a lot of properties that are in a really good position, and you know, we're happy to to sit and let them cash flow until we're comfortable with the valuation um, on the other side. But there's, um, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of owners and operators out there that aren't going to aren't going to have that issue. And I think, you know, you're going to have to look for potentially help to come in and and help bail you out at that point. Yeah, these are great, great comments because you mentioned a yeah. few things which kind of come come to mind. There are really yeah. few ways to solve a problem, and you mentioned one of the ways to solve a problem. So one of the ways you could do a capital call to existing investors, right? You go back and you ask for capital from folks already invested. Two, you bring in other investors, and then you mentioned that essentially recapitalize the project. So somebody else comes in with fresh capital and dilutes existing investors because the fresh money is necessary to uh, keep the project afloat. Yeah. The, the third one is a sale. Sale is just an outright, but your recapitalization could be almost like an outright sale. It's it's maybe not to a Absolutely. full degree, but the fresh money could capture 75% of equity if, if that's what's necessary to keep the project afloat. So it's good to hear that you don't have any any problems like that, but the, the issue is going to be very common. As you mentioned, some folks already reached out and uh, I see this exercise being a lot more frequent in the upcoming months because of that maturity. And what's really interesting, uh, on a value add project, typically, how much do you typically try to push the rents up? So from the time you acquire till the time you believe you have done stabilization value, what's your typical rent increase, average rent? 
Yeah. So we're looking at like organic rent increases. Like we, we've underwrote three, 4% typically, um, on a gross perspective, you know, if our average rent is a couple hundred, couple thousand dollars a month for a property, it might be 200 bucks. It might be 10% over, you know, a two or three year period. Um, that sort of thing. You know, some of the properties that we bought, um, you know, we've seen, as you know, the rent increases over the past couple of years, you know, 18% in some markets, you know, our, our average portfolio is up over 10%. Uh, this in 2022 um, for that. So, you know, again, if you're looking at a couple thousand dollars a month, that may be say $200 a month in rent. But I think we're, again, where people get in trouble is we were seeing a lot of bidders come in and outbid us and they were assuming five, 6% annualized rent growth, which is pretty substantial in addition to what they're looking to get on a value add component. So, that's uh that's 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 substantial above what we've seen historically, which is more like three percent. Well, what's your value add mix? So your yeah. let's just call it inflation uh, increases at three to four percent a year. Yeah. That's organic, and then two value. Yeah. How much additional per year we think value add? Yeah. So in the first couple of years, you may be looking at um, 15 percent on top of that. You know, three to four percent. So just kind of ending the numbers. So for two years, a three yeah. to four percent, you have six to eight percent plus you get another 15, 20 percent. So you wind up increasing the rents by 26 percent from the time you acquired till the time you kind of got it stabilized. But the interest rate could have gone up 60 percent payment factor, 70 percent, right? If you go, yeah, if you're in that position, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of you do the math, yeah. and we've got deals where the 30, 40 percent rent increases, and in those are really yeah. strong deals. And yeah. we still are lagging behind what these higher interest rates. Um, oh yeah, we're seeing rates. Yeah, easy, easy, um, two, two, two hundred, three hundred basis points above. You know, we we have some interest rates in the in the three percent range, and I mean, we're seeing double that now. Yeah, and that's double effectively payment factor doubles. I mean, your your debt service doubles. Everything doubles. I said I said sixty, seventy, eighty oh, percent. Yeah. I didn't even say double, yeah. but there are situations yeah. where it's double. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. it's kind of a way well, it's, 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 it's a pain point for existing and opportunity for new folks to come in kind of yeah. uh, the rescue. Uh, let's switch the subject for another uh, just couple more minutes. Uh, yeah. What are the interesting opportunities you're seeing? Uh, you also share a little bit about your book and how would sure. folks get a hold of you and, yeah. and um, yeah, just, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Again, I think, um, look, if you've been investing at, if we, if we keep saying, Hey, we're going to keep doing things the way we've been doing it, then we're probably going to see issues as the landscape changes. And, you know, we talked a little bit before the show, Mike, about kind of this, you know, the, the real estate cycle that's out there and the economic cycles that are out there. Um, but yeah, if you want to get a copy of my book and learn a little bit more about my background, I go into you know, our overall strategy, next level income, nextlevelincome.com. If you click on the book link, if you're in North America, my wife's Canadian, so I'll even send it to Canada here. If you put your address in, I'll send you a free copy. Thank you for sharing. Uh, yeah. Appreciate you sharing the book and, uh, it, it, it's a pretty cool concept. I mean, I assume you're talking about multifamily, I guess, uh, car, car wash and anything else. Just curious. What else? Yeah. So we do. So multifamily, it, this is in order of our, um, asset size, uh, multifamily self-storage car washes. We have a hotel 
uh, that we were able to acquire in an opportunistic fashion with our hotel operating partner last year. Um, we also do mobile home parks, which I really like. If you look at some of these deeper value add deals as the economic landscape has changed, it's really hard to find affordable housing these days. And mobile home parks can be a really nice option for that. So we have some acquisitions here in Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, the greater Southeast that help fit that need for people here as well. Yeah, makes sense. And um, uh, in, in just very briefly, do you do anything in the infinite banking? Just just a, a couple of words on, yeah. on, I know you do a little bit in infinite banking. Yeah. So what do you think about yeah, so, what has changed with rising interest rates? Yeah. Has that strategy changed at all? Yeah. What's nice is the insurance companies, if you look at the holdings that insurance companies have, and by the way, I'm, I'm a licensed life insurance agent. We have a concept called the investment optimizer approach. So if you're a real estate investor and you're interested in applying the strategy, we, we have a white paper and we also have a video at our banking page at nextlevelincome.com that talks through this because we won't be able to go through it all right today, Mike. But uh, as interest rates rise, real, uh, insurance companies, they are buying, they're buying debt, they're buying treasuries, they're buying real estate, they're making loans on real estate. And the holdings that they have are not just short-term holdings. So they bake in these interest rates and insurance companies have some of the smartest people out there, actuaries that are out there to line up their debt, their holdings, with their obligations on the other side. So one of the nice things is the these policies, so if you're talking about the infinite banking concept, what happens is you have a return inside of your policy on the cash value and the, in the cash that you've put into these policies. So if I look back over the past two years, my average return in my policies is almost 6% on the cash value in these policies. And that's due to the underlying holdings of the insurance company that's coming. So an insurance company is no different than any other company. They have to pay out their obligations. So they charge their customers, which are their um, policyholders, a premium. And that premium includes an administration fee. But then they have to do something with their holdings. They have to turn a profit. Well, if you, if you set up these policies the correct way, you're with companies that are called mutual companies. So it's like Vanguard, like a mutual fund company, a true mutual company. And what that means is, let's say, the business turns a one or 2% profit every year. So if they guarantee a 4% rate, they're going to send you another one or 2% on top of that guaranteed rate of return that they've, ma they've made as a profit and that gets distributed to the policy holders, which is really nice. What's great if you're an investor, like we are and you're listening today, you can access that cash value. So let's say your cost of capital is 5%, 6%, then you can go and invest that money somewhere else and get a higher rate of return and now it's compounding inside of your policies. The company, if you're if it's set up with the right company, treats it like it's untouched, and you can invest that money elsewhere as well. So you get the benefits inside of the policy. And I wouldn't call that a, I wouldn't really call that an investment, but it's a tool, right? Because you get the insurance that you're paying for inside of this, and you get to use your cash in a true investment, a cash flow investment. And then you can obviously determine, hey, is it worth it for me to borrow at five or six percent? To invest elsewhere, and if you say, "Well, I can just I can just pay nothing and, and use my cash that's in the bank," that's a fallacious argument because there's always a cost of capital that's out there. So what's nice is 
using this strategy also keeps you honest because just like any good business owner or any CEO will tell you, there's a cost to capital. And that's how, Mike, you mentioned, you know, net present value. That's how you calculate that, right? Is you say, okay, how are we discounting this back to zero? And you have to have a cost of capital that's associated with that. So I like it from a, you know, a kind of a wonky financial perspective. Um, again, if you want to dive really deep into it, if you want to see how we use it in the investment optimizer approach, you can check out nextlevelincome.com and click on the banking section there. Yeah, uh, Chris, I appreciate you sharing that. And one of the uh, things that, that I really like about infinite banking, and I use it too, is a simple fact that cash in the bank uh, doesn't really earn you as much. Although with rising interest rates, it start earning some interest. Uh, but you can earn yeah. more uh, within a policy. And uh, the biggest strength of, of this um, uh, approach is the fact that you have access to cash. You could borrow against, against your policy at Absolutely. any moment of time. That access to liquidity is more important than having cash in the bank. So that's a very powerful instrument where you effectively uh, have a, a true insurance policy, God forbid something happens, but you also have substantial ex access to cash if the policy is structured properly. And when you're waiting for better opportunities, uh, it's better to sit on a policy like this than sit on cash because cash doesn't earn you the same level of return as the policy does. And when you get a great opportunity and you could borrow against the policy and deploy it in, in the right deal, that creates uh, that kind of a, a, optimi a, a optimization of cash um, planning in, in a matter of speaking. Yeah. So appreciate your sharing. With I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously you are the, the licensed yeah. insurance agent and you, you've got a great uh, use case scenarios on your website. Uh, so ne nextlevelincome.com, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate you coming um, on the podcast. And any yeah. final words? Any any thoughts? Any good book? Anything? And uh, we we got to wrap up. It, it's a great episode. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, we got to wrap up. So I'll tell you what. Um, I mentioned the eighteen and a half year real estate cycle. This book, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking by Phil Anderson, is a great read. It'll talk about the cycles in real estate going back into the 1850s in the United States. And it really ties together. I was reading Ray Dalio yesterday, he talked about seven-year cycle, seven-year cycle, and then four-year cycle, add those up, 18-year cycles. So take a look at that book. If you're interested, you can learn a little bit more about that as well. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your wisdom. Appreciate you being guest on the podcast. Mike, thanks for the opportunity. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.